All right, and welcome, my friend, to the next episode here, the Red Delta Project podcast, live feed Q&A, where simplifying fitness, helping you break free of the diet and exercise rat race by taking a fundamental approach to diet and exercise. I'm Matt Schifferly. Today's episode is sponsored by my latest book, Be Fit, Live Free. I'm going to be referencing several things in this book here, but if you're ever wondering how to get the best of my information in the quickest and most efficient way possible, my books are the way to do it because I give away all my stuff for free. This is an example in this uh, episode here because today we are talking about the power and freedom of adaptive training, how to make it work for you, and understanding how to best do that is also partially in this book here. But like I was saying, I give everything away for free in my YouTube videos and in these podcasts, books are just a bit of a condensed version of it all because you can get everything you want if you're willing to comb through the thousands of YouTube videos I have and the hundreds of hours here in the podcast or you can just read it real quick in an hour or two in my books because that's the best that I got. Links down below for that book as well as the entirety of the RDP library on the RDP merch store is down below as well as uh, you can find the links to the Red Delta Project Amazon page and that's all my books there. Grind Style Calisthenics, Smart Body Weight Training, Progressive Calisthenics, Weighted Calisthenics, and so on. So today we're talking about the practical application of adaptive training. What do I mean by adaptive training? Well, some people call this intuitive training. Some people call it uh, freestyle training and stuff. But I like to use the word adaptive training, in fact, so much that one of the upcoming quick read books that I'm going to be coming out with towards the end of the year or early next year is literally called Adaptive Diet and Exercise. Because what you're essentially doing is you're taking your habits and your uh, strategy and your schedule and you're adapting it, you're changing it to suit your circumstances. And it's not just intuitiveness, it's not just freestyle and stuff, it's adaptive because we're recognizing that trying to hold fast onto one very static dogmatic way of doing anything with diet and exercise can hold you back in several ways. It can hold back your results. It can hold back your ability to do it comfortably and efficiently. It can hold you back as far as your even safety is concerned. And the reason for this is very simple. It's because your ability to have a safe, comfortable, satisfying, and effective workout does not come from exactly how much work you do. Now, I know that may seem a little bit crazy because most of the advice out there in our fitness culture regarding diet and exercise is... It's based on what kind of work should I do? How many sets should I do? How often should I work a muscle group? Should I do legs twice a week or once a week? What do you think about this guy who works his, his biceps once a year? Or what about you, this guy who does squats every single day? And all? It's all concerning how much work you do. But this is a little bit of a catch-22 or a dead-end street because what we understand from a fundamental approach to fitness is that your results don't come from how much work you do. I don't care how many sets you do. I don't care what exercises you do as if it's really all that important because believe it or not, it's not. What is important is how well you influence the fundamental processes of mother and human nature that are governing your fitness. We're not in control of our fitness. Mother nature is. How well we can utilize our uh, influences and our habits depends a lot on our own human nature as well. 
And if we don't know what those are, it doesn't matter what kind of exercises you do. It doesn't matter what diet and exercise program you use, because no matter what you do, you're hunting around in the dark. You're guessing at everything. But once you understand how fitness actually works from a fundamental perspective, then it's as simple as understanding what type of objective are you trying to accomplish with your workouts. Your workouts are not effective because you do bicep curls versus pull-ups. Your workouts are not effective because you do high or low volume training. They're effective because you accomplish a fundamental objective to have the best influence over those fundamental processes. And if you don't know what that objective is, you're always going to be training blind. You're always going to basically be hoping that your workouts work by blind luck. And, just, and unfortunately, one of the downsides to that is also we rely too much on hard work and effort as a metric for an effective workout. As I always say, one of the surefire ways to know if someone is competent in their profession or their job is let them listen to the, about their work ethic. The person in the room who's like, I'm the hardest worker here. No one can outwork me. I work harder than everybody in the gym. That person doesn't know what they're doing. Because when you don't know objectively what you're supposed to do to accomplish an effective result in your workout or whatever, you rely too much on blunt hard work. It's the whole idea of if you don't have the skill to do it, you're just going to rely on blunt force, brute force. And we were building a jigsaw puzzle the other night. And I, I was kind of joking because I had two pieces that kind of seemed to fit, but they didn't quite. And I was like, oh, some of these pieces, you know, these jigsaw puzzle manufacturers, they don't make them very well. So you got to really force the pieces together. And of course, we had a chuckle about that because it's like, that's not how it's supposed to go together. Those pieces don't actually fit. But we take that attitude so much when it comes to diet and exercise, where we're trying to make it happen through brute force, which usually is a good sign. We don't know what we're doing. But when we do understand the objective that you're after, then what you can do is adapt your approach on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis to best achieve that objective. Because there is no dogmatic approach that's going to work well for you all the time. Hell, I would even argue there's no dogmatic approach that's going to work most of the time. It doesn't matter if I'm like, yeah, five by five or do three sets of 10, or do low volume training, or do high volume training, no matter what I give you, if you stick to it like glue and you don't do anything else, you're going to be off and misaligned most of the time. The uh, analogy I always use is like telling someone 45 miles an hour is the one correct speed you should drive your car at. Don't ever go slower. Don't ever go faster. You have to go at exactly 45 miles an hour in all circumstances. Well, of course, that would be, one, unsafe, and two, probably ineffective, because the way that we effectively go from point A to point B in our cars is through adjusting our speed. We slow down, we speed up, we sometimes may even stop. You know, if we go faster or slower due to a number of circumstantial variables, and that's how you be a decent driver. And yet for some reason, when it comes to diet and exercise, we're supposed to go at one speed. But adaptive training is simply the recognition of, no, you're supposed to change. You're supposed to do more work 
at certain times in your training. You're supposed to do less work. Sometimes you're supposed to skip workouts. Sometimes you should change your exercises. Sometimes you should say, all right, I'm going to work out legs three times a week. And sometimes you should do it once a week. That's why whenever we have these ideas and these debates over the correct way to train, it doesn't matter what number you hit. It doesn't matter what advice you get. You're going to be wrong most of the time because the correct best answer in most circumstances for people is to have adaptability in your training because then you can do enough to get a good effect, but not so much and too much that you're overdoing things. And today I'm going to be discussing to you about my strategy on how to make adaptive training work for you that's coming up in my next book. Because if you just go into it like, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like, no, that's not adaptive training. That's a bad way to go about it. We still need to have an appropriate way on why we're adapting and changing things up. And that's what we're talking about today, but let's get to some questions. I love talking with you folks. Last week, I thought we had a fantastic Q&A session. I appreciated everybody coming on in. Cristobal is saying, what do you think about the Nordic curl for hypertrophy? Worth it or not? I've addressed this in the past quite a bit. Uh, I don't like the Nordic curl. It's one of those things that's hard to adjust. It's hard to adapt. Most people are doing it very poorly. Uh, it's like giving someone, let me give you this example. Years ago, there was a guy who was obsessed with doing a double body weight bench press. And he would always have me spot him. And I use that very liberally, the quotes. And he would basically, he'd need my help when I'd basically row the bar off this, the rack. And he'd be like, good. And I'd like, let it go. And he would do this like squirming and worming, ugly as hell technique, lowering it down. And then it'd be on and I'd have to row it back up. And he'd be like, yeah, okay, this is how I'm going to train for a double bodyweight bench press. And he never got good at it. He hurt his shoulders. He hurt his elbows. He was always terrible at it. And he never got stronger in the slightest. That's the way most people approach the Nordic curl which is why I don't like it. And then people are like, well, you can use bands and you can use this and you can, yeah, now you're talking about more equipment and more setup and you've got, basically it's a complicated, difficult and inefficient way to do something quick, simple and easy, which is why I'm much more of a fan of hamstring curls on towels on the floor, like I discussed in my book, uh, Progressive Bodyweight Training or suspension hamstring curls. Far more efficient, far more effective, far more applicable to people. I never give people Nordic curls. Doesn't mean you can't work it. Doesn't mean it can't be effective. But I, I just find that for most people, it's just a bad exercise. Uh, and there's better, we can do better. We can just simply do better. Zaid is saying, hey Matt, how is building new muscle different from growing a larger muscle? Is it one and the same? Yes, it's largely one and the same. Now, this is a, a bit of a point of debate and contention in the exercise science world because we have hyperplasia and hyperphagia. And I can never for the life of me get them straight. So I'm probably going to get this wrong and get a ton of uh, angry villagers with torches and pitchforks coming to my inbox. But basically, we get bigger muscles through hyperphagia. Uh, which is basically you've got the same number of muscle fibers and you make them bigger. And that's how you get a bigger muscle. You don't add muscle fibers as the conventional theories have long stated. That's hyperplasia. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we might think that hyperplasia can happen. Uh, I've, I've come across some folks and talking about research where it might happen under very extreme circumstances. And it's also something hyperplasia has been observed in tons of studies 
on animals, but not in humans. So it's kind of like, well, if it's been observed in every mammal we've ever studied from here till Tuesday, why isn't it happening in, in humans? So there, it's kind of like uh, the Loch Ness Monster and Sasquatch. Not really shown to be a, a, a truthful thing, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but we still think it might happen. So basically, yeah, growing new muscle or bigger muscle, same thing. You're the same thing. You're getting bigger fibers. You're not adding new ones uh, for the most part. Casper is saying, hey, Matt, currently tracking my workouts with a workout log. Good man. But I find it be tedious walking around with it and weight, reps, sets, and exercise. Is there an easier way to track progress? Absolutely, my friend. Uh, pardon the shameless pitch, but I hate keeping workout logs like that. I don't like spreadsheets and stuff. And as a matter of fact, when I went and uh, started working here, Capra Bodyweight Training here in Denver, my uh, employer who took me on, he's like, okay, here's our workout logs that we use. He's like, I insist that you track your workouts. I'm like, well, duh, of course, never trust a trainer who does not track their workouts. Uh, but I was like, can I use my own method? Because of course he's using spreadsheets and I've got to write things down and everything. And he's like, yeah, sure, do whatever you want. Because I developed my own workout strategy uh, for tracking workouts called, well, used to be called the scoreboard progression log, but I've recently redone and re-edited the uh, book and it has a whole new title and cover called the adaptive training log because it's basically now it's very suitable as a workout log for adaptive training. Funny enough, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, but it's also a workout log that you barely ever need to touch in order to effectively use because you only change things when you make progress with it or when you have some sort of a note that you need to make like, oh, make sure you're doing your pushups this way and not that way or something. So you're only writing when you have relevant things to change. You're not writing in 10 reps, 10 reps, 10 reps, 10 reps, 10 reps every single time. It's also something that very quickly at a glance, you can very easily see what's going on. Uh, down below, check out the link down below again to the RDP PDF store, adaptive training log. It's like five bucks to get the book on how to do it. And all you need to do is uh, track it. You can do it any way you want, but uh, I do it through a Google um, Docs sheet because it also tracks your history automatically too. And it's really easy to look. And that is way easier than those spreadsheets in my humble opinion. And it's also much more effective for tracking the real progress that you want, which is oftentimes a lot of subjective things. Cristobal is saying, have you ever count macros and calories? Nope. Uh, one, a couple of reasons for that. One is uh, it's extremely hard to do well and accurately. I mean, let me, let me ask you this. How many times have you climbed a flight of stairs today? How many stairs? How fast were you going up those stairs? These are all variables to how many calories you burn. So I used to know a friend back in college who was a calorie counting master. And she literally would have a notebook in her pocket. And she's like, I went and climbed 18 stairs today at an average speed of this, skipping stairs on you know, three out of the four times I climbed the stairs and stuff. You got to be that precise to know what kind of calories you do. Calorie intake, same sort of thing. This is unfortunately one of the things that happens too when a lot of people really get into calorie counting for their food is because when you have real whole, very nutrient dense foods, it's extremely hard to know, you know, how much protein is in the steak you just ate. Because even if you look at the nutrition label, it'll say something like 15 grams of protein. And then you're like serving size and it's serving size is varied. Like 
that doesn't tell me anything, right? So you got to weigh your steak. You got to weigh it before you cook it. You got to weigh it after you cook it. Uh, you got to weigh the uh, uh, things that you're adding to it, like marinades. It's, basically, it's a giant pain in the butt is what I'm trying to say. Now, I do recommend a lot of times that people track their food uh, momentarily for a few days here and there just to get a sense of how much you're eating. Is sometimes it can be a real eye-opener when folks are trying to get an idea for these sorts of things. Or if they're like, oh, I'm sure I'm eating enough. I'm sure. Then you look at the log and it's like, dear Lord, I only ate that much today. So it can be a good way to become more aware of your food intakes and things like that. But beyond that, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm much more of a fan of keep your diet consistent. Roughly, what are you eating? How much are you eating? When are you eating? And stuff like that. And that way, if you're ever considering, maybe I should eat more or less or something like that, it's a real quick and easy change. Real quick and easy thing to do. Like years ago, I used to make a salmon filet. I get these salmon filets from Costco. I made these salmon filets with rice and some broccoli. And uh, I was like, I think, you know, I would eat it. And then like an hour later, I'm still hungry. I'm like, I think I need more. So I'd eat two salmon filets. Now, how many more calories is that? How much more protein? How much more? I don't know. I don't care. It's more than before. And that's really all that matters, friends. When it comes to effective diet and exercise habits, we get different results because we create a delta. That's why the name is there, the Red Delta Project. We create a delta, a change in our habits. It doesn't matter what you do for your diet and exercise habits. What matters and gets you results is what is different now than what you were doing two weeks ago. That's why we track our workouts to a degree. You know, is it that precise? No. Does it need to be? No. It just needs to be big enough for a change for you to be like, oh, wow, I just did this. I do that all the time with clients where they'll do a workout. I had a client the other day, posted it on Instagram and everything. She got her first pull-ups. And I literally showed her a workout. I'm like, this is what you were doing when you started with me. And this is what you're doing now. And we did the two workouts back to back. And she was like, holy smokes, I've gotten stronger. How much weight is she lifting? Don't know, don't care. How strong is that met numerically and objectively? Don't know, don't care. It's a hell of a lot stronger than when she was. That's all that matters. Same thing with food. You don't need to track it to make those kinds of changes. Adam Simpson saying, thoughts on suspending your hands instead of your legs in bridges. What benefit might this bring? <laughs> Dude, if you can do that, go for it. Uh, in making my book, Suspension uh, Calisthenics, I, I tried out some su hand suspended, just hip bridges. Just, you know, holding myself up like this, feet on the floor, trying to do hip bridges. Super hard. Ridiculously hard. Give it a try. Give it a try. It's ridiculously difficult to do it in some variations. I do uh, what I call my suspension bridge. Yes, I believe I created that term and that name, and I'm going to use it, and I want nickel for anybody who claims otherwise. But a suspension bridge is where you're hanging from your suspension, and then you back bridge from that. That's a real good way to get the back bridge motion without the you know wrist and the shoulder mobility impeding some people and stuff. But other than that, it's really hard. Give it a try. You'll like it. Mike Ellis saying, Matt, been doing the minimalist program training every day. Good job. How close to failure do you suggest? Yeah, see, that's the thing is the more you go to failure, the more recovery you're going to need. So you're going to find it out for yourself. Now, I've never really used the term going to failure because I feel like it's very, very subjective. I've had too many examples where people were like, I pushed to failure. And I'm like, I call bullshit. 
you're not going to fail. You're not even close to failure because so many people, they're like, I save a rep in the tank. And then we really push them. And it's like, dude, you were saving eight reps in the tank. We're, unless you've got some pretty good experience with strength training, most of us are way under doing how many reps we can actually do. Most of us never uh, come really that close to actual failure. Usually something else is giving out too, like our mental toughness and our emotional resiliency, the ability to keep pushing and stuff like that. But nonetheless, the more fatigue you have in a workout, the, le the more recovery you need so that everyday training may be a bit compromised. But if you're questioning these sorts of things, I say, Joe, go ahead and push it. You know, just push it. Don't, don't hold yourself back. Go for it. Blast the hell out of yourself if you feel like it. And if you're kind of overdoing a little bit, well, you're just going to be a little more tired for the next workout or the workouts at the end of the week. And then you know either you need a little more rest or you should just kind of save a little bit more in the tank for each workout. Because there's so many variables that depend on how hard you can push and come back smiling. So many, And they're always changing too. It depends on your conditioning level, depends on the exercise, depends on the tools you're using, lots of different things. So I say push it. And if you need to cut back, your body will tell you. Cristobal is following up saying, uh, what is your approach with in rep tempo? How long is your concentric and eccentric phase? So I basically go with uh, a nominal amount, uh, usually slower, of course, with heavier loads because you're going to have to. But uh, for the most part, I'm using enough speed that I can move at a good tempo, but not so much that I'm creating momentum. I want to keep things really, really engaged in that regard. But again, it's kind of uh, one of those details I think most people overthink it. Like, just go, just go do it. Try to keep the momentum relatively uh, short and uh, low and have control. The real thing is to have control. Sometimes you can have control faster. Sometimes you'll have more control going slower. Depends on the exercise, depends on your stability, depends on your mobility, depends on your energy level, depends on your focus, depends on the time of day. There's a million reasons why you may need to go faster or slower in repetitions. It will even change throughout the workout. But don't worry about the rep tempo. Focus on having control over the exercise, mastery of the exercise, and then let the speed be what it should be. Zaid is following up saying, hey, Matt, if I don't add muscle fibers, why does eating food and protein specifically is equated to growing new muscle? Exactly. So we don't grow new muscle fibers as so far as the consensual ag agreement in the scientific community, although of course there's never any agreement in the scientific community for the most part. Uh, but the reason why is because when we build up our muscles, we're largely basically stuffing more you know, stuff into, we got the actin and myosin cross bridges getting in a little bit of physiology and stuff. And we're essentially like filling the muscle fibers with more of the proteins and stuff that we're consuming. So the same kind of, I mean, I'm grossly oversimplifying this, but we get fatter by adding fat cells sometimes, but mostly by filling our fat cells to be bigger. Same thing with muscle fibers. We're getting the fibers themselves to be bigger and then they shrink down by stuffing them more with the contractile proteins inside the fibers. And that's how they, they're getting bigger. As my understanding goes, my understanding of human physiology is not <laughs> my strong suit, but that's basically it in a nutshell. Party man saying, glad to see you're still making videos and streaming. Absolutely. Can't stop me, man. Uh, any advice for targeting the glutes through overcoming isometrics? Thank you for your profound advice over the years. Very good. So there's lots of ways we can do this. One of the simplest ways to do it is just stand with your back against a wall. You're about a foot and a half behind your wall and push your heel, the back of your heel against the wall. 
using your glutes and your hamstrings. That's an exercise I give a lot of people. Works extremely well. Isometric deadlift, and in particular, the single leg deadlift seems to work extremely well for getting the glutes and the hamstrings to work. And uh, the glute medius as well, and the minus, all the stuff on the side of the hip work well. And those are the, the exercises I give you, as well as don't forget, you should be firing up that glute with everything your lower body is doing. Uh, lunges, squats, hip bridges. Basically, if your legs are working, your glutes should be working. So make sure you're engaging those glutes. Ben is saying, hey, Matt, I'm currently following your grind style method. Thank you. Very love it. Unfortunately, I'm still struggling with shoulder pain, supraspinatus, trying to work around the pain. How do you get rid of yours? Long time, my friend, long years, years until I finally was able to get my shoulder stable and work my back appropriately. So it's not like something that's going to usually get fixed overnight. Plus, what do we know about the... Uh, condition of that supraspinatus? Is it really uh, strained and inflamed? Because sometimes if you've got damage in there, it's going to take some time for it to heal. And that can take uh, time as well. So whenever we've got these chronic injuries and nagging aches and pains and stuff, we, we can be looking at a very long road until we figure out it's like, oh, wow, that's what it's like for my lats to engage. Or, oh, wow, that's why my upper trap isn't quite turning on when I'm doing rows, or maybe you've got it on rows, but you don't have it on pull-ups or something. It's always an investigative process to figure out where's the pain coming from? Why is it there? And it can be a, a bit of a frustrating thing I, I understand, but as long as you keep plugging away and trying to figure out like, okay, if I do my commando pull-up, and I recommend videotaping yourself because that will be a, a good way to see it. Cause you could do commando pull-ups on the left side. And you're like, eh, that's looking good. And the right side, you're all hunched up and getting that scapular elevation. It's like, Oh, hello. That could be different. So it can be a, a while, but it was a lot of things. Uh, it was a lot of stuff coming together over a long, 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 long period of time. And uh, it was not certainly something that just went away one day. One more before we jump in today's main topic here. Milana is saying, hey Matt, what makes uh, someone's waist big? Is it wide hips, ribs, or muscle? Let's assume a person's very thin, but has a wide waist. Why is that? Yeah, it's largely a, a structural thing. Unless you're talking about having a good degree of like adipose tissue and belly fat uh, that's making the waist big. Yeah, it's largely structural in how you're built. You know, the, the size of your pelvis or, you know, my ribs, I've got this very blocky torso kind of thing. My brother-in-law, though, looks like, you know, he's been stretched out. He's long, lean and kind of lanky, which is why it was always really good as a cross-country runner and things like that. You, you just built differently. Some people are built like greyhounds. Some people are built more like bulldogs. And that's largely a skeletal structure kind of thing on why you have wider or narrower this. Again, minus adipose tissue, uh, body, belly fat and stuff. But if you're fairly lean in that area, then yeah, it's just how you're roughly built. That's, that's kind of how it is. All right. So let's get into our topic. So we're talking about adaptive training, changing things up according to your circumstance, because the objective is to have that fundamental training objective. I want to work on strength. Great. And you want to work on contracting the muscle harder. 
I want to work on muscular endurance. Okay, you want to have higher repetitions. I want to work on stability and control. Okay, very good. Well, I want to build muscle. Awesome. What is your objective? What is your fundamental objective? Because your workouts are not effective because of how hard you work. They're effective because of how well you achieve that objective. And for the most part, there's a lot of variables in your workouts, as I was just alluding to. There's lots of different things that can change up the circumstances of your workout. But the way to kind of think of adaptive training to get a handle on it is I use the analogy of using like a, a regular professional DSLR mirrorless camera. Now, if you've never used like regular camera cameras like photography or photos in school and stuff like that, we're used to now using our smartphones where you just open the camera app and you're like, hey, there's a picture, click. But when we're working with photographs, we have three basic variables. We've got exposure, we've got shutter speed, and we have aperture, how wide our, our lens is open for things. And when we use a camera, we are adjusting all three of those things as well as maybe some other settings like white balance and stuff like that. And cameras have various modes and settings which basically say, I want the camera to take some of those things and do it automatically, and I want to have control over other things. And there's a range here. So if you have your camera on full auto mode, that's like saying, I don't want to have to control anything. I don't want to have to think about anything. I just want to hit the shutter and the camera does all this stuff automatically. That's largely what a lot of our smartphone cameras do. That's auto mode. So in the workout world, auto mode is basically saying, I don't want to have to think about anything. I don't want to have to change or adjust anything. I'm just going to follow the program exactly as it's written. If it says do push-ups, I do push-ups. If it says do it on Tuesday, I do it on Tuesday. And if it says do three sets of 12, I do three sets of 12. So that's when your workout is on, quote, auto mode. And that's what a lot of us do is we're just on full auto mode. I don't want to change anything. I don't want to think about anything. I just want to do it as it's written on paper. And the advantage with auto mode is that you don't have to think about anything. You don't have to decide anything. But the problem is you have no control. You're following along and you're just crossing your fingers and hoping it works really well. Now, when you're a beginner, as in photography, a lot of people will use auto mode because they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to, I have no clue how to adjust things. So the camera's probably going to make better choices for me than I would make for myself. Same thing with working out. If you're brand new or you're fairly new to a type of training, like let's say you get into kettlebell training for the first time and you have a kettlebell program, you're like, I, I don't know what I'm really doing here, so I'm just going to let the program make all the choices for me. Great. That's good. That's fine. Again, things could be grossly out of alignment and stuff, but at least it, there's a good chance that it's going to be okay. It's going to be good enough for most people and circumstances. So that's auto mode. On the full end of the end of the spectrum, you've got full-on manual mode. And manual mode with the camera says, I want to control my exposure, my white balance, my aperture, my shutter speed, every little thing I want to have full control over it. Don't let the camera do anything. Same thing with working out, is I want full control over everything. I don't want any type of routine that I'm following whatsoever. I want to every time I work going to do a workout, I'm selectively choosing every single variable on an independent basis. And the advantage to that is you are fully in control. The downside is you'd better know what you're doing because <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing and it's like, oh, that does not look very good, you don't know how to fix it. 
Like, why in the world is everything so blurry? I don't understand why I can't get this kind of picture. Why is it dark? Why is it too light? Why is it like light over here and dark over there? You don't know what you're doing. So you don't have the ability to control it in an effective manner on the camera. Same thing with your workouts, which is why most people will go with a mode setting on a camera that's somewhere in between. And that's where most people are going to be best with adaptive training with like an aperture priority mode setting. I would say, all right, uh, camera, you select the exposure, you select the shutter speed, you select the uh, white balance and other things, but I want control over the aperture. I want the background blurry or not or whatever. So I'm going to adjust that. You make everything else adjust and adapt on, for me so it still looks good. That's what you're basically doing with the camera is you're saying, I want control over this, you control everything else. And that's usually how most people are best off with adaptive training is we still have a routine where everything is largely set up and we follow the routine where the routine is in control, but we're in control to adjust something according to what we want. And there's four primary variables we have in our workouts. We have how much volume we're doing, so how many sets of each exercise. We have how much intensity we're working with, so how much resistance for the most part. We have the frequency and the schedule of the workout. So are you working legs Monday and Thursday or, or not? And then we have, of course, exercise selection. And it's like, well, I do lunges and leg press and stuff when I'm doing my legs. So those are the four variables we have. And again, full on auto means your routine is saying you're doing your squats on Monday and Thursday. You're doing exactly this amount of resistance and weight. You're doing it these number of sets and you're doing it for, um, let's see, frequency, uh, so and day, and this much weight, these many sets, and you're doing these exercises, like leg press and lunges. This is exactly what you do. This is how you do it. Versus full-on manual would be, I'm going to work my legs at some point this week when I'm ready for it, for whatever exercises I feel like for the day, for however much resistance I'm up for, and for as much volume as I feel like. Okay, so that's full-on ma manual in contrast. And then we've got the ability to adjust back and forth between those, which I'll get into in a second. But let us get to a few more questions. Pardon me. Boy, it is really, really dry out here. Cristobal is asking, hey, Matt, what's the best way to progress on overcoming isometrics? And is it better to do it on a specific isometric training session than mixing up with dynamic exercises? So that's one of the great things about isometrics uh, is that it's kind of just automatically progressive. You don't need to adjust really anything because if your muscles can work harder, they're just going to work harder. <laughs> they're just going to apply more force into the handles or the bands or whatever that you're using because you don't have a finite amount of resistance. You have an infinite amount of resistance. So progression with overcoming isometrics, that's one of the great things about it. It just happens automatically. You don't have to think about it. It's just you get stronger and then the resistance that you're imparting upon your muscles is going to increase uh, to uh, suit you. So you're always having resistance and your ability to produce tension on equal footing. So you don't need to worry about it. It's going to be good. Now that's as far as progression of strength goes. You can have a lot of progression in more subjective variables. Like, are you having good tension or radiation through your body? So if you're doing an isometric overhead press, 
Are you keeping your glutes and your abs tight? Are you breathing smoothly? Are you packing your shoulders? Is your alignment good? So these are things that you can be more aware of where you're saying, okay, I was doing isometric overhead press for a while, but I was always pinching my lower back. I wasn't really engaging the rest of my body. So now I'm focusing on engaging my abs and my glutes and my quads and my uh, shoulders are packed and everything. Okay, that's getting better. All right, great. Now we're getting more of that progress. So a lot of times the progress on a technical level with isometrics is something to be more aware of because the progression of the strength and the resistance is pretty much happening uh, automatically and you don't need to really think about it. David Baker saying, hey Matt, we'll be 50 in six months. Congratulations on your 50th turn around the sun. Plan on getting in great shape by then. Good luck. <laughs> Always been in pretty good shape. Good start. But I'm really going to focus and show my 18, 20-year-old sons they got to keep to work up. And fantastic. Great example. I wish more people were doing that sort of thing, David. Of course, that's always the, the not so much the joke, but the, the lesson. You know, I fully intend to be 70 years old, banging out pull-ups on the playground. But people are like, well, if you know, you're doing pull-ups at 70, how do I do that? It's like you do pull-ups when you're 60 and you're 50 and you're 40 and you're 30. You know, you, you carry the strength throughout. Then we can always change and get stronger, of course. We always have that ability. But those who are in great shape when they get older were probably also in fairly good shape when they were younger too. So that's why you don't want to wait, my friends. Don't put it off. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Second best time is now. So get on it. Uh, Zaid is saying, is it worth doing straight bar dips if I don't have parallel bars? Yeah, sure. Dips are dips. Absolutely. Uh, I always like straight bar dips uh, myself. You got to have a lot of strength in your, uh, in your uh, shoulders, your packing. And just, you know, try not to hunch up too much is what I'm saying. Dan is saying, hey, Matt, as a photographer, your analogy is funny, but spot on with Isomax. Very good. I follow routine but made adjustments, sometimes more sets, sometimes less. Love it. Absolutely. And that's a good transition right there, Dave. Thank, uh, Dan, excuse me, because different variables of our workouts are easier or better for some people to adjust. And usually when it comes to adaptive training, the area that I find that people can start dipping their toe in the adaptive water best with is adjusting the volume that they're working with. So if you have a workout, let's say you do, you have a workout that says I train legs Monday and Thursday, I do lunges and leg press, I do X amount of weight and X amount of volume, then that's my routine. So how do I start working with adaptive training? Do I just throw the routine in the trash and just start from scratch? No, keep exactly the same routine, but I recommend you start off having an adaptive quality with the volume that you're using. How many sets are you using? Because the thing that dictates how much volume you use is how much time, energy, and motivation you have. So sometimes, we've all experienced this, where you get into a workout and you're just, for whatever reason, able to just destroy the weights. And your workout says do two sets because you're doing some low volume, high intensity thing. And after two sets, you feel like you're still just even warming up. Like, I'm ready to spit fire. Let's go. In that case, you'd be like, great, keep going. You know, more sets, three sets, four sets, five sets, six sets, go, go. yes, by all means, keep going. And that's the one of the tenets of adaptive training. If you can do more, do more. And don't hold yourself back, keep going, great. But at the same time, if some days you're like, okay, leg day, 
oh boy, legs are not feeling it after that hike I did yesterday. Oh, knees are not happy. I don't know what is going on with me today, but oof, legs are not really up to par on this. And after two sets of lunges, you're already on the downhill swing. You're already feeling like the legs are pretty shot, At which point you're like, well, I guess that's all I got for today. <laughs> I guess that's what's going to happen. You don't keep forcing it. You don't keep driving yourself into the ground to do set after set after set because you're on some sort of high volume thing and that's, quote, what you're supposed to do or anything. No, that's, there's no discipline in that. You're not being disciplined. You're just following along with the program. And forcing yourself to do something you don't want to do is not necessarily discipline. Sometimes that's just blind obedience. But if you're paying attention to it, it's like, dude, I do not have the energy for this. or I'm not feeling up for this. Or it could just be as simple as I had to work really late. I've got 15 minutes max for this workout. Okay, you just don't have the time to do a whole lot. Get a couple of good sets in and call it a day. Right? Those are reasons and scenarios why you might have less volume. So volume is one of the adaptive things that people usually can start well on because their time, energy, and motivation can fluctuate sometimes to a pretty good degree, acutely and chronically. Sometimes you're just going to have bad weeks. Sometimes you're just going to have bad months, right? And it's just like, I don't know what it is. I just can't do much. Okay, then you just don't do much. And other times you're just going to feel amazing. In which case I say, why hold yourself back? Again, it's like the, the automobile, 45 miles an hour. That's the one correct speed I should always drive on. I'm like, dude, you're on the Audubon. <laughs> you know, floor it. Let's go. So go and do more when you can and feel like doing more. Do less when you don't really have as much to work with. And that's uh, the, you know, if you want to say volume setting on your camera or for your workout setting, volume uh, priority. And that's a good place to get started with. More questions. Cristobal is coming on saying, hey, Matt, do you think doing pistol squats on an elevated surface with a slight upper body assist is better for overall hypertrophy? Just better work yourself to regular pistol squat. It's a regression. It's a regression because a lot of us don't have the hip mobility to get the other leg up as much or the hips down enough. A lot of times when we do pistols and we can't get the leg, the straight leg in front of us up enough, it's usually not so much our hip that's lifting the leg, it's the hip of the squatting leg isn't mobile enough to get your pelvis down low enough. So you're still creating more of an anterior tilt in your pelvis than is necessary when you squat down. That's why your foot is on the ground. So yeah, elevating yourself is a great way to do that. It's fantastic. It's a great way to go about doing those things. Sometimes having a wedge underneath your heel of your squatting leg is a good way to do it as well. And that can be a good way to kind of learn how to get lower. And then you progress by having less of an elevation, either under your heel or that you're standing on. So it's a good variant that you can have with things. CL Films, good to see you as always. Using the Isomax, what's your favorite squat format? Zercher versus front squat or any variation? I like the, the hack squat, I think. I believe that's what it was called. Damn, I made those videos. I should know. But um, the, the squat variant that I love is where you take the bar and you basically squat down and you have the bar behind you. So if you squat down low enough, the bar is right underneath your hips and you're holding onto it kind of almost like a, a trap bar deadlift, if you will. And you can make that more of a deadlift or more of a squat depending on your torso orientation. If you're more upright, it's a squat. If you're more 
uh, forward with your torso, it's a deadlift. So I keep myself pretty damn well upright and I just stand up. And that I find is the best squat variant that I really like with the Isomax. That's usually what I use. The other one that's a lot of fun that I was doing with a buddy last night is you squat down and you lay the bar across the top of your thighs, as close to your hips as you can manage. And then you try to stand up. For some reason, I don't know why, but that is ridiculously weak. Like you could be doing you know, your squat with a couple hundred pounds and that thigh squat, I guess you could call it, is like 30 pounds. It's like 40 pounds. Like, why is this so weak? It's still a regular squat. I think it's just so direct against the muscles that there's not a lot of strength coming from the rest of the body or something. I don't know what it is, but boy, is that direct on the legs. It is extremely hard on the legs. And yeah, keep the load on that if you're in load mode pretty low because it does not take much, but it's very, very effective. Carlos, good to see you. Uh, what do you think about mass gainer shakes? Same thing as weight loss shakes. They're the same thing. They're just, ba the, you know, Slim Fast that came out? Yeah, it, that's the same thing. <laughs> it's all just protein shakes, fat, folks. It's just whey protein with vitamins and minerals. There's a million products out there for different things, and it's all the same thing. As we learned in our nutrition and obesity and weight control class, my a professor was like, what's the difference between a mass gainer shake and a weight loss shake? And we're like, oh, it's got to be something with the amino acid profile and the carbohydrate. It's like, no, it's all in just the recommendation of how you drink it. A weight gainer shake you consume in addition to a meal. A weight loss shake you consume instead of a meal. That's it. <laughs> That's all it is. Because remember, folks, supplements are nothing more than just processed food. That's all they are. A good supplement and this isn't to say it's bad, but it doesn't do anything different than food. It's just a bunch of nutrients that's been refined and processed the hell out of it. So it's easier to buy, store, and consume. That's all it is. There's no difference to it, which is one of the reasons why I just always much prefer real food. Not because I think that food is like supplements are bad or anything. It's just you're going to get more from food. Back in the day, this is way back in the day, uh, when I first started working out in like real gyms, I had a, a, um, a routine where I'd get up in the morning and I'd go to the gym and I'd do, you know, your classic bodybuilding bro split workout and stuff like that. And then I would mix up a protein shake, a chalky protein shake, choke it on down. And then I would go to work installing exercise equipment at home gyms and stuff. And man, that shake would go through me like that. And come 10.30 in the morning, I'd be starving. Like, I don't understand. I got my protein shake. And why am I so hungry all the time? And then one day I uh, got out of the gym. I was like, oh, crap. I forgot my shaker. I forgot my protein shake and everything. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to pick up something on the way home. Because at the time I was like, you got to eat within, you know, consume protein within five seconds of your workout, the anabolic window and all that nonsense that we all used to live by back in the day. And so I stopped by back in Vermont. Uh, this is one of the little treasure troves of Vermont is all the gas stations had amazing delis and stuff. There's sandwich shops and things like that. And I was like, I'm just going to stop by O'Brien's, which is the, the local uh, deli and gas station there on the way to work. And I got this bagel with like three or four eggs on it and bacon or sausage and cheese and everything. I was like, oh, fine. This is like, I'm sure a crappy alternative to the protein shake because it's not a 
Omega three alpha proprietary blender, whatever nonsense was on the label that I got from GNC or whatever at the time. And I had one of those and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a million times better than that protein shake because I didn't feel like hunger pains and like I was starving to death an hour later. It tasted a hell of a lot better. It filled me up. It was so much more enjoyable. I'm like, forget the protein shake. I'm eating this, you know, egg, bacon, cheese, breakfast sandwiches from here on out because they're a million times better. But again, does it really matter from a nutrition standpoint? No. It's just because it, it was food. You get more from food, more satisfaction. And that's why I'm always saying that the objective with the dietary approaches here at RDP is eat to satisfy. Your diet's not healthy because you eat certain foods. It's healthy because you satisfy your fundamental appetites. And just in my two cents, supplements are really crappy at doing that. <laughs> Other than like your nutritional appetites and stuff, in which case it's like, great, do that. But it's certainly not going to be any better than food. Give me a tuna sandwich any day. But uh, yeah, that's the difference. Mass gainer shakes. There's nothing special about them, which is why they work. They're just regular food processed like crazy. Uh, Cristobal, hey, Matt, I'm competed in powerlifting a couple of times. Much props to you. And I'm also a calisthenics enthusiast. Compliment each other very well. But it isn't really difficult to progress in both. What's your advice? Should I focus just in one? So you're always going to only progress to a large degree in anything that you do. And yeah, if you want to keep making progress, it does help to be more of a specialist in that thing. But you always also want to just ask yourself if it's worth it. So I forget who it was or where it was, but there was a podcast I was listening to several years ago. and the guest on it was kind of known for having just amazing skills at a ton of different things. Like he's one of these guys who you sit down at a party and it's like, yeah, I speak five languages, play six different instruments. I've lived all over the world. I'm a brain surgeon, rocket scientist, auto mechanic. Uh, I've sung operas. It's like, he's just done all of this amazing stuff. And the host was like, so what is, how do you do this kind of thing? And he's like, well, it's very simple. He's like, if you take up a new endeavor, a new activity or something. He's like, if you really give a good amount of effort to it, you're probably going to make most of the potential progress you're ever going to make in it within the first three to five years. It's like after about five years of doing whatever, like playing the ukulele or whatever, he's like, you're pretty much not at your limit by any means, but he's like, at that point, you've used up most of your progressive potential without going too extreme. Now he's like, now, if you want to really go further with it, go for it. But know that it's going to be really expensive. He's like, now you're talking about really dedicating your life to it. We're talking spending five, six hours a day training, hiring coaches, traveling the world for the best. He's like, at that point, you have a decision to make on, is it worth it to do that? Now, some people, they'll reach that point. And say, yeah, if I can get 10% better, I can turn pro. If I get 10% better, I might win a championship. If I get 10% better, I could make my dream come true of playing in, on stage in a festival or whatever. Like, Will that 10% really matter to you? It might, in which case, buckle up because you're going to have to make some massive sacrifices to get that extra 10%. And that might be the case for you. If you're like, dude, I want to become a state powerlifting champion. Okay, maybe, yeah, focus on the powerlifting. But the calisthenics is very supplemental for the time being. 
But at the same time, other people are like, if I get 10% better, what's that going to do? Nothing. Like, it's really not going to do anything for my quality of life. In which case, the guy's like, great. Dust your hands off, say, all right, this is pretty darn good. Now you can go into like a maintenance mode. And still, you can make little bits of progress. You can keep chipping away, of course, because there's a lifetime of learning with anything. It's like, but at that point, kind of realize you've got about most of what you're going to get. Cool. Now find something else cool to go do <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, it's this idea that we can be masters at anything, which isn't true, and that we can exponentially make progress forever, which isn't true. So he was simply recognizing, it's like, after about five years of good, honest effort, and if you've got some in coaching instruction, you pretty much have got what most of what you're going to get. So if you want to keep really going for it, great. But recognize that maybe it's time to be like, okay, that's about most of what I'm going to get. Time to go pursue other things. And that's how we became so widely versed in so many things. Because he's like, I'm not going to play basketball and invest my life for 20 years hoping I'm going to turn pro or anything. He's like, I played basketball very seriously for five years. I got pretty damn good at it. And now I play it recreationally, and now I'm spending my time doing other things. So I feel like that might be your situation here, Cristobal, is, is getting much better and more serious at either of them, uh, while important to you, or are you now going more for chipping away at it and getting what you can and then moving on to other things? Good, good life lesson for you there as far as how much do you want to progress in something. M-O-T-U-U is saying, hey, Matt, where do you see your exercise regime evolving in five to 10 years time? Hard to say, my friend. Really hard to say. I, I honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> right now, I'm very much on exploring the grind style approach in many different modalities. I made a video on doing it with weightlifting the other day. I did a, a podcast on using grind style with isometrics. So right now I'm a little bit more open to using grind style with other modalities. But if I'm perfectly honest with you, I just keep coming back to calisthenics just because it's what's best for me. It's what's most effective for me. It's what I enjoy doing best. But I do feel like things are getting a little bit stale right now and I'm a little unmotivated. So we'll see what, what happens. I usually find enough of my experience now has been that if I'm starting to feel a little tired of what I'm doing, something big is coming. Like there's an evolution that's going to come in the next year or two and uh, that's going to get interesting. So we will see. But honestly, I have no idea, <laughs> no clue whatsoever. But I'm starting to run out of time here. Let me get to the last few points here for today's topic. So we talked about volume adaptation. The next adaptation is intensity. Intensity is another thing that can adjust and you can be adaptive to because some days you're just going to be stronger and some days you're just going to be weaker. That's all there is to it. So this is something you really want to pay attention to, especially with progressive calisthenics, because lots of times in the world we're told like this is the intensity you're supposed to work at. You're supposed to do this one technique or this amount of weight and stuff. In which case, when you have an adaptive approach to intensity, you say, well, when I'm stronger, I go heavier. And when I'm not quite as strong, I go lighter. And it's just that simple because some days you're just going to be stronger. And so if you're feeling stronger and let's say you're doing dips with 30 pounds on a dip belt, you're like, oh man, I'm feeling good today. Great. Load that sucker up 40, 45 pounds, 50 pounds for all, you know, if you can go, go great. Awesome. Wonderful. 
But other days you might be doing your dips with those 30 pounds and like, oh man, shoulders are not happy with this one today. All right, good. Get rid of the weight, do a body weight or do push-ups. right? That's an, an intensity adaptation. You're just going lighter when you feel you need to go lighter and going heavier when you can go heavier. It's that simple. Uh, second is you've got your frequency or your scheduling. And frequency and scheduling is where you say, well, you know, I usually do legs on Monday, but not feeling legs today because I went skiing yesterday. All right, I'll do them Wednesday then. There you go. That's all there is to the frequency and scheduling is you work the muscle when it feels ready to be worked. And that's one of the adaptive training methods that I personally use a lot. I don't ever have a regular schedule that I work my muscles on. As, How are you doing today, legs? You guys ready for workout? Oh, okay, we'll do it tomorrow then. It's that simple. And other days I'm like, man, I am feeling, I'm feeling like the back needs to get work today. All right, pull-ups, here we come. You know, it's that simple. It's really that easy. Don't overthink this adaptive training. It's literally doing what you can with what you have. That's all there is to it. Because we're just trying to achieve those fundamental objectives. That's all we're trying to do. And so you're just doing it to the degree that you can with whatever you've got. And then last is uh, exercise selection. And exercise selection is something that a lot of people don't vary a whole heck of a lot, just because we typically fall into favor with things that we're proficient with and we feel good with. It's like, yeah, pistol squats are not feeling good. I don't know why. I just can't make them work. They feel like crap to me. Okay, don't do pistol squats. Hover lunges, regular lunges, leg press, back squats, a hundred different things you can do. Do those instead. You could be like, oh man, I really feel good doing walking lunges. Okay, great, do walking lunges, whatever. It's just as long as you're getting that basic fundamental uh, movement pattern, it's still a squat chain movement, you're getting the same basic results. It's not like the exercise selection really matters all that much. As long as you're still getting the same basic push-pull squat, you're basically training your body roughly the same way. So if we fall into... Uh, favor with some exercises and not so much with others. So that can be good. But sometimes you may change things up for various reasons. You could walk into the gym and say, okay, leg press city, here I go. And there's a mile long waiting for the leg press. You could be like, okay, I don't want to wait in that line. No leg press today, a hex squat machine or back squat, or I'm going to try the heel elevated pistols that I've been hearing about or something. There you go. Sometimes it's just as simple as equipment resources may change what exercises you're doing. Or it could be something along the lines of your body's just not doing an exercise very well. Like, ah, I got dips on the schedule today, but shoulders are not happy with me. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to go do cable crossovers for my chest. Okay, great. Good. Go for it. Now, the last point I want to make about adaptive training is that you're not changing things willy-nilly for no reason. You're changing it to accommodate your circumstances. What kind of time and energy do you have? Controls your volume. What kind of strength and energy do you have? That's intensity. What kind of energy and ability, motivation do you have to work a muscle? That's your scheduling and your frequency. And what kind of exercise selection or what kind of ability do you have on a daily basis? That's, that's your exercise selection. And you're just changing and adapting whatever you wish, whatever you like, in order to best accomplish those fundamental objectives that I talk about in my latest book. Because that's what controls how well your workout, how effective your workouts are. That's what's most important. And again, you don't need to adjust all of it. You can keep everything the same and just adjust your volume. You can keep everything the same and just adjust your intensity. 
You can keep everything the same and just adjust what days of the week you work things and your frequency. And you can keep everything the same and just change your, uh, your exercise selection. So, and then it's just one or you can change anything else up. So it doesn't need to be an all or nothing approach with adaptive training. You can change and adapt parts and things. If you find, well, if I give myself free reign to train whatever, whenever, I just never get legs in. <laughs> I just don't have the motivation to, or self-discipline to train legs very often. It's like, okay, then you're probably better off having a very routine base where you're like, I work legs on Monday and Thursday or whatever, right? So that might be something you don't have too much flexible adaptation with and more of a static approach with to keep you on track. Oh, if I just leave myself to lift whatever, I'm always going to lift plate. I'm never going to push the intensity. Okay. That might be something that you have static and uh, in control of an auto mode, if you will. So it's about kind of knowing yourself. What do you have the discipline to do more when you can do more and less when you can do when you should be doing less versus things that I'm just not going to make the right choice for me. I don't really know what would be best for me. It's like, okay, that you put on auto mode and the rest you have on uh, manual mode. And it's just adjusting accordingly to what you know is uh, in your wheelhouse. A couple last questions here to follow up. Rob Zeller saying, I'm 68 and currently doing push-ups followed by squat and pull-ups. Is there a pro or con to that order of exercise? Nope. Just get it however you like there, my friend. But vary it up. You might find a pro or con. You could, you could find that it's like, man, if I do my squats too early, I get exhausted really quickly. So adjust the scheduling again. If you find one way is better for you, then go for it. D-Wolf saying, 31 years old, love walking. Good for you. And it's about my only source of, for exercise. Good. I know I should incorporate strength training, especially as I age but I don't enjoy it. Any suggestions? Yeah, I mean, get very basic strength training in. For the most part, we're good with just some push-pull squat movement pattern. Something, anything, doesn't matter how you're doing it. You know, just something pushing, something pulling, something squatting. I usually tell folks, just get a set of suspension straps. You can put it in a doorway, get some basic push-ups, turn around, get some rows, and then get some squats or lunges. There you go, kind of thing. And I know what you're saying. Like I get a lot of people who say, but I'm not into working out, Matt. I'm not into exercise. Yeah, well, I'm not into going to the dentist either. <laughs> I'm not into putting gas in my car, but I do it because I want to get the benefits that come from doing those things. It's part of the, just the responsibility of being an adult. The challenge we face is our American culture, our Western culture doesn't make being healthy and strong as that much of a responsibility as an adult. It's like a luxury. Fitness is still a luxury in many people's eyes. It's something that's cool, but it, you know, it's like having a solid gold Timex or Rolex watch. I just picked up a watch today, so that's what my head is. But you know, for a lot of people, they're like, why? Why? Like you get your time on your phone. Why in the world would you buy a solid gold Rolex watch? It's a luxury item. Purely a luxury. Yeah, it's a tool and stuff, but it's a luxury item. And most of us have that attitude when it comes to fitness and strength training. And it is. It, it 100% is past a certain degree. Past a certain degree. Being able to deadlift 500 pounds, run a marathon, one-arm push-ups. Does this really matter to people's lives? No. And is it really going to matter and make your life better? Not really, no. But we pursue these things because it's cool. 
because it's really interesting, because it makes us feel good about ourselves. That's why we do it. Is it really that important? No. You know? But the thing is, though, to a certain degree, strength and physical conditioning is about health and well-being, though. <laughs> it does, if it erodes too much, now we are talking quality of life. <laughs> now we are talking your ability to live life on your own terms. And in my experience, as long as you could do push-ups to any degree, some basic bodyweight rows with a good angle to gravity, and lunges, that's probably most of the strength and conditioning most people need to have a decent quality of life. If you've got that, you're good. You're good. And coming back to what I was saying earlier about making progress and then getting to a point and saying, you know what, this is as good amount of progress as I need. I'm done. I'm good. I'm just going to kind of go into maintenance mode and maybe chip away a little improvements here and there. But this is good enough for me. I'm going to take my foot off the gas and pursue other things. I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. If you can get there with just basic push-ups, rows, and lunges, good on you because there's a hell of a lot more important things in life than diet and exercise. Let me tell you, you don't need to be able to pursue fitness as if it's a lifestyle in order to just have a good life because the bar is actually pretty darn low to be healthy and well-off with this stuff. Push-ups, rows, lunges. If you can do that, you're pretty good. But you do need at least some degree of work in order to make that happen. And uh, yeah, I would say pursue that. Just do that. Just work up to that sort of level. And if you can get that at your age and you're like, yeah, I can bust out push-ups and rows and lunges, good. Just keep doing that at the end of your runs or your walks. You know, just a set of each. Set of each three times a week. Is it going to turn you into Mr. America? No, but it's going to keep you going and um, help you maintain uh, your, your quality of life. Follows up saying, I'm not into it and don't do it. But in life, we owe it to ourselves to get some moderate exercise to keep our bodies going healthy. Absolutely. I mean, think of all the other things we do as a matter of responsibility that we're not into. Like I wash my dishes because I don't want to eat on dirty plates. I do my laundry. I brush my teeth. I shower. I have proper hygiene. Well, I don't cut my hair anymore, but you know, I shave. There's a million things we do to take care of our bodies on a daily basis because That's what we do as a matter of responsibility to ourselves. We need to look at basic exercise in the same way. We were always told, you know, as trainers, you know, you got to treat exercise just like brushing your teeth. It's just something you do. But the problem with that is it's like, it's just like brushing your teeth. So here's a very complicated, very time consuming bodybuilding routine that you need to do. And it's like, no, you know why brushing your teeth is something we do every day as a matter of a course? Because it's really simple, easy, cheap, and efficient to do. It takes almost nothing to do it once it becomes habit. And we need to do the exact same thing with exercise to a large degree, which is why, you know, push, pull, squat. You know, that's why I wrote the ebook on it. Push, pull, squat. Get those to any degree. And that's probably most of what you need. Matt C is asking, are you live? So far as I know. <laughs> But yes, I am live, my friend, but I'm going to have to get off here in a little bit. But I can't stop asking questions. I love talking to you folks. George Wilkie is saying, Matt, I followed you for at least a decade. Wow, impressive that you can stand the sight of my face and the sound of my voice. Thank you so much, my friend. And I've noticed that you continue, continue to improve. Absolutely. I appreciate you recognizing that year after year. Just keep striving ahead. I'm so impressed with your ability to continuously do that. Yeah, and a lot of times, I don't mean to make it seem like 
improvement and progression is something you're just going to hit a wall and then you're done, right? You can always get better. You can always do things a little bit better. Just It's amazing what happens with the progressive mindset. If you just sit back and you're like, how do I do this thing just a little tiny bit better? Even the smallest thing is, is something that's worth doing. So, you know, you look at your workouts, look at what you're doing and be like, how can I do this push-up better? You'll get an answer. And again, the workout log that I was telling you about, that's one of the reasons why workout logs work is just because it makes you pause, reflect on what you did and be like, how can I do this workout better? You'll get answers real quick. E-E-E-E-E is coming out and saying, hey, Matt, what do you think about David Goggins and his approach to training? I don't know much about his approach to training, but a lot of the stuff I've come across from him just does not rub me the right way. He's very much, and I could be totally wrong, and I hope I am, but he's very much about the, you know, you need to just, you know, force yourself to do it. And if you're not feeling like training, do it anyway. And, uh, you know, you don't need motivation. You need discipline and stuff. And I, I get where he's coming with that. I used to have fallen to that type of philosophy and stuff. And now I look back on it and to be honest with you, I think it's dead wrong. (laughs) And I think he's a great example of why it's wrong Uh, because he'll say, you don't need motivation. You need discipline. And then all of his posts are about how to be motivated. (laughs) You know, it's a very ironic thing. He's like, here's how I think about doing things when they're tough. And here's how I, you know, if I'm running and I don't want to keep running, here's the mindset shift. I'm like, dude, that's all motivation stuff. You know, in one post, he'll say, you don't need uh, motivation. You need discipline. And then everything he talks about is how to become more motivated. He may not be aware of it, but it's exactly, you know, which shows two things. One, he's less self-aware of what he's actually talking about. And two, he's really smart because of course the stuff he's doing works. He's a classic example of practical application. I don't want to take anything away from him. The man's got far more of uh, t- mental toughness and everything than I have in my pinky. And then he's got more in his pinky than I have in my entire body for sure. So I don't want to like discredit anything he's talking about. But his whole idea is the classic coach of like, people don't do it because it's hard and they need to be. Yeah. But if they don't want to do it, then that's a fundamental flaw in the program. And this is one of the reasons why I always say that, you know, ex-military and professional athletes and stuff like these are terrible examples for the average individual for fitness. You know, if you, if you wanted to get in shape, and your best friend was a Navy SEAL, that Navy SEAL knows jack squat about getting in shape for the average person. You know, if your uncle was, you know, I played, you know, college football and everything like that, they don't know how to make a a workout routine. They had coaches do it for them and stuff. So a lot of times we look up to these icons of seemingly fit and tough people. And oftentimes they're the worst example we can follow because they're not in the same situation we're in. I was just talking with a good friend of mine. She's learning to ski. I've skied since I could walk, right? In Vermont, you know, you can ski in Vermont. You can ski anywhere, as they say. She's like, can you teach me how to ski? And I was like, God, no. I would be the worst teacher for teaching you to ski. Why? Because I don't know how I do it. I had coaches and people teaching me how to do it throughout my years and everything like that. So I would be the guy saying, just turn. I don't, I don't know. Just you go down the hill and you just, just turn. And that's usually the type of advice we get from individuals at the higher levels of sport 
and performance and stuff. And they're like, just do it. Just make yourself do the workout. Just get it in. doesn't matter how you feel. That's horrible advice because we don't have a paycheck we're paying, we're getting paid for. We don't have a drill sergeant screaming in our face or our livelihoods or our professional careers on the line. So we don't have the same motivations. So the mindset you have in those scenarios is so different from, you know, Mrs. Smith who wants to lose 30 pounds for a cruise and has no, hasn't had an athletic experience in her life. They're so different that you're terribly unqualified to be teaching that individual. And that's why I don't teach my friend how to ski because I'd be going down going, I don't know, just turn. Why can't you turn? I don't understand it. One more here. I got a little on a, my soapbox there, but man, I wish I knew that stuff back in the day. I would have saved myself a lot of heartache. Would have avoided a lot of bad advice. David Baker saying, start with the resistance ISOs for a while. Let's see how that goes. Oh, yep. Good advice back and forth. One more from my buddy Mariano saying, hey, Matt, recover from surgery. Getting back in with intuitive training is the best way. Be fit, live free. Good job. So, yeah, this is where adaptive training really comes into its own. Just to put a cherry on top of everything is because our bodies are always changing. Our lives are always changing. Our circumstances are always changing. You could wake up a week from now and be like, suddenly everything I was doing in my workout doesn't work right now. You know, I can't do the volume or the intensity or the schedule or the exercises that I was always doing. So what do you do? Do you take a break? Do you quit? No, you keep moving forward. You keep doing stuff and you adapt, my friends. You adapt. Why? Because that's going to help you get the most out of achieving the fundamental objective in your training. So your workouts are going to be as effective as they can be. It's going to take a lot less stress on mind, body, and lifestyle, which makes it a lot easier on you. Easier is always better. And then finally, it's just going to be a lot less risk of you know, overdoing things, stressing yourself out, driving yourself into the ground. You're going to do enough to get the job done, but not so much that it becomes too much. And some days what you do with a regular amount would be too much. Some days it may not be enough. This allows you to adapt to your circumstances. So you're always doing things in a good approach. Joseph is lastly coming on saying, hey, Matt, when I work, I do push-ups, rows, and an, uh, either a squat variation or lunge. That is a bulk of my workout. Yeah, push-pull squat. Very good. Add tricep and bicep exercise from time to time. Oh, yeah, good little supplement for 30 minutes. Fantastic. That right there, folks, push-pull squat. That is a smart way to go. Very efficient. It's going to cover most of the bases that everybody needs right there. Good example there, Joseph. Thank you so very much for sharing your strong example. All right, folks, I am out. Peace out. I hope you're all going uh, not too crazy out there if you're celebrating holiday stuff because we're getting towards the end of the year here, folks. Don't forget that my latest book, Be Fit, Live Free, available down below, covers a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, as well as the latest videos on the Red Delta Project YouTube channel. My video I've encountered every day. Two key tips on building more muscle with calisthenics. Check out those videos. Uh, video number nine just dropped today. Tomorrow will be, of course, video number 10. Don't miss those if you have any inkling of building muscle, particularly with calisthenics training. You want to know the tips in those videos. It will go a long way in helping you do exactly that. And I will talk to you folks next week. Till then, be fit and live free.